This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Today's episode is a MacGuffin with Hank Spaulding. And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Um, my name is Hank. I'm your host, um, alone again, to cover all things Marvel in the summer of 2022. Um, you saw and heard my review in the early part of the summer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, it was a great, great movie. Um, but um, it is, alas, not the only uh, Marvel thing we've received this summer. Um, we've gotten a couple things, and originally I was just going to do a review of Thor Love and Thunder and then separately do a review of Miss Marvel, but then I realized that recently uh, in San Diego Comic-Con we had a lot of reveals about upcoming Marvel projects. We got our first trailer for Wakanda Forever. Uh, and so rather than do four separate things, I decided let's just do a Marvel podcast uh, where we talk about all the things that are coming up and all the things that have been uh, with Marvel here um, in the Roadshow. So I'm going to start with the a review of Thor Love and Thunder, uh, then do the review of Miss Marvel, do my trailer reaction for Wakanda Forever, and then close out with reflections on where we seem to be going in stage uh, five and six, even as we were closing up stage four, or phase four, sorry, and where we're going in phase five and six. So Let's just dive in with Thor Love and Thunder. I was looking forward to this movie, I think, more than I was uh, uh, Multiverse of Madness, uh, though I'm not sure. I I had a lot of energy and hype, and I think a lot of the fans did, coming out of um, No Way Home, just because of the expanding multiverse, and we heard that there was going to be even more multiverse um, cameos as a result of what happened in Spider-Man No Way Home, but I think you can't really get bigger than the two cameos that you had in Spider-Man No Way Home with uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield showing up as their respective versions of Peter Parker. Um, And, you know, so I think in that sense, like, a lot of people are disappointed. Um, And, uh, but I think that the version that we get of Doctor Strange in Multiverse of Madness makes a lot more sense than the one that we got in No Way Home. He seemed a lot more competent and in control, but um, one of the things that's really interesting about Doctor Strange is that he always appears to be on his back foot getting beaten up. Like, So he's learning magic in the first Doctor Strange movie. He's, um, you know, even though he's uh, technically like a, a ascending to the Sorcerer Supreme role in Infinity War and Ragnarok, you know, uh, Ragnarok's probably where he comes out looking the best because he's able to take care of Loki and Thor pretty easily. <coughs> but um, nonetheless, um, there, uh, you know, Infinity War, he gets um, pretty much his teeth kicked in pr- pretty frequently. Uh, he does a little bit better in Endgame. And then here, and in No Way Home, he's, again, on his back foot, not doing his best work. So, I I still think that's endearing for him, because he always manages to pull it out, eventually. Like, he always manages to pull out a win. Um, So, anyway, um, enough about that one. Thor Love and Thunder. I was really looking forward to this one, um, because, like with Hawkeye, there just really aren't too many (coughs) of the original Avengers still around. We're about to see, um, with She-Hulk, 
Bruce Banner show back up and the Hulk show back up. But there really aren't too many original Avengers still around. I think it's actually just Bruce Banner, Hawkeye, yeah, and um, and Thor now. Um, Captain America is now um, Sam Wilson's Captain America. Uh, Iron Man has passed and Black Widow has passed in the universe. And so um, that's, that's a, a little bit of a problem. But nonetheless, um, uh, this movie, I... Th- was kind of uh, coming off of the hype of Ragnarok plus Thor's performance in Endgame and Infinity War. Um, we got in Ragnarok a much more lighthearted version of Thor. Uh, Chris Hemsworth has gone on record saying that Ragnarok was really the thing that revitalized his love of the character. And if you look at kind of the progression of Thor in the first Thor movie, he's kind of this Shakespearean character and like the way he talks is very... Um, proper and things like that Um, and in Ragnarok we get very much like a lot of like Thor's personality um, or uh, Chris Hemsworth's his personality um, and he kind of gets to have a little bit more fun um, with the character and so I think that that he's interested in playing Thor for a little bit longer with uh, Taika Waititi's um, interpretation of the character so um, anyway all that being said, I think that that was kind of like what a lot of people are coming into. Obviously, Thor was uh, very much out of shape at the end of Endgame, and so he was going to get back into shape, and he got into super shape. Chris Hemsworth did. Um, you know, he he told uh, like on the circuit for um, promoting the movie that uh, he was training for this movie during COVID, during lockdown, and so all he would do is kind of see his family eat and work out, and so he worked out like eight times a day, and so he got ripped for this one i mean he is his his muscles are huge i I think this is the biggest chris hemsworth has ever been for thor um so he put in the work and the work showed but um there's a lot of things i liked about this movie there's a few things i didn't like about this movie um i think that uh and so i'm going to talk about things i liked things i didn't like and then some of the theological philosophical ideas in it that i really um resonated with so um, I liked the philosophical theological thing that they were doing, but I want to cover that at the end. Um, so anyway, um, uh, the things I liked, um, well, actually let's start with the negative, also things I disliked. I think that they didn't give this enough time. I know that Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios wanted this to be a little bit shorter, so it ran for approximately an hour and 49 minutes, and it, I think it showed. There were a lot of things that I think should have been developed a little bit more. Um, that didn't get to. I think the original cut of this was four hours long of Taika Waititi, and they cut it down to an hour and 49 minutes. That was, that was a lot. Um, uh, a lot of things that they had to take out. So it felt very rushed, this movie did. Um, and uh, so, case in point, um, Christian Bale and Gore the God Butcher, such an interesting character, um, and I think that he played it well, but... Um, the problem is, is that you didn't really get to see a lot of him. Like, so Gore, um, he gets the opening scene and he's kind of wandering the desert with his daughter, you know, looking for water, right? And, um, his, his daughter eventually dies of dehydration and Gore, um, you know, wanders into an oasis, um, and actually finds the god that he was praying to, to send water, Right? And that god actually is really indifferent to Gore's suffering, and uh, Gore ends up finding, you know, in that place the uh, 
the ebony blade, which is this, um, or the necro blade, sorry. I think the ebony blade actually belongs to Black Knight. Um, uh, so the necro blade is apparently this mythical sword that can kill gods. Um, now, when I say that it was rushed and you didn't get to see a ton of the development of Gore, obviously Gore had a really great, and has in the comics, a really great motivation for um, hating the gods, because uh, he prays to the gods to save his family, the fam his family dies, and um, he turns against the gods. And it's interesting, because even in this movie, like when he confronts the god, and he's the last of his people that worship this god, the god doesn't really care, right? And so, if you just lost your daughter, your family, your people, and your god that you thought loved you and protected you, you know, actually really didn't care, you could see why, you know, he would hate those people. But it's rushed because it just so happened that right before Gore got there, they were fighting this uh, villainous person who had the, the sword that happens to be able to kill the gods. And so, that felt a little like, you know... Um, well, that is such a huge coincidence, the kind of feeling. Um, but still, like, you know, he goes from this, um, this, uh, very pious, um, follower of this deity to this, um, cursed being that uses this sword and kills the god that he worships. And so, um, he goes from that to saying, all right, I'm going to kill all the gods now because, you know, they're, none of them are worth worshiping and things like that. And after you meet a lot more of the gods in this uh, movie, um, they're, they're, I mean, you can see why. They're not all great people. You see uh, Russell Crowe's uh, Zeus, who's also a terrible person. So, um, anyway, it is, uh, it is, it is you know, well-founded that a lot of these gods were actually kind of big jerks. I mean, one of the only ones that isn't is Thor, you know, the god of thunder. Um, and he's, because he's trying to stop Gore, but... Nonetheless, there's a lot of people. We'll get into that later. But he has a lot of really great motivations. But I would have liked to have seen more of Gore, maybe like fighting a few other gods. You you see a lot of gods dying right throughout the film, or like that they're dead. Um, but you don't see Gore fighting them. You see Gore killing his god, and then coming after Thor and as guardians um, later. But um, you don't really see him fighting many other gods. And so I feel like that was a little bit of a waste. Um, fun fact, the girl that is uh, that dies that is Gore's daughter is actually Chris Hemsworth's daughter in real life. Um, and uh, in fact, one of the kids that plays like a younger version of Thor, because they do this kind of like uh, build up to Thor, you know, from a baby up until <coughs> his adult years, um, the boy is actually um, Chris Hemsworth's son. So anyway... I would have liked to have seen uh, more of Gore there. That was rushed. Another thing I didn't like, there really wasn't a ton of the Guardians. I think that a lot of people came into this thinking there would be some fun, zany adventure with the Guardians involved. But really, at the beginning, they're mentioned. Um, so the whole story on Thor's side of things is um, you get kind of like a um, flash forward to um, uh, Korg, uh, who is you know voiced by Taika Waititi. Um, telling a group of children about the adventures of the space Viking Thor. Um, and, you know, talks about all the people he's lost. He lost his mom, he lost his dad, he lost his brother a few times, he lost Heimdall, you know, and, you know, his one true li love in life, um, Jane Foster, uh, dumped him. Um, and so he's telling a little bit of the story of, of 
of uh, of Thor, and then also um, up into the present, uh, talking about how now Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's where you kind of flash over to Thor. They're on a planet. The Guardians are engaged in this battle with these giant chicken bird-like people. Uh, they're losing. <laughs> Um, but you don't, I mean, you see kind of like a little bit of glimpses of like, kind of like a montage of Thor talking to like Peter Quill and things like that, but nothing really substantial. You don't know what their conversation is. And then Thor joins the battle that the guardians are in, you know, ends the battle. Um, and then that's when Thor and uh, the guardians go their separate ways. There just really isn't a ton of interaction. And I'm sure there are reasons for that. Maybe in the longer version, they had more adventures together, but I just would have liked, that's one thing I really liked about Infinity War, was how the Guardians and Thor interacted. And you just didn't see a lot of that here. So I, I felt like that was kind of a waste of, of their time, because we're not really going to get much more Guardians. There's a holiday special coming out later this year, and then next, next year there's Guardians Volume 3, and for all intents and purposes, there's actually um, no more Guardians in this original team uh, again, and so we don't know which Guardians are going to survive that and which ones are going to um, continue on in the MCU. So anyway, I'm a little worried, a little sad that we didn't get more of that. <clears throat> Another thing that I, I'm not sure I liked is uh, I think they went too hard on the humor. I think that it was it was good. Like, I love the levity that Taika Waititi brings to this, but in some sense, I, I feel like some of it was didn't make sense. It still felt a little forced. For example, um, Thor's um, axe, um, Stormbreaker, appears to be jealous because um, Jane Foster, she's able to wield Mjolnir in this movie. Basically, um, while during their dating relationship, Thor tells Mjolnir that if anything ever happens to him, he the, that Mjolnir needs to watch over Jane, and uh, one of the main kind of driving themes of this film is that Jane has contracted a very serious form of cancer, she's tried treatments and everything, um, but um, she hears Mjolnir cry out to her, and she goes to New Asgard, and um, is able to actually reforge the hammer, and the hammer kind of gives her strength and the ability to fight her cancer. Uh, the catch is whenever she drops the hammer, sorry, whenever she drops the hammer, she still has cancer. Um, and the hammer, even though when she's holding it, gives her power and strength, when she's not holding it, the cancer progresses and gets worse. And actually, um, so, you know, the thing that's saving her is also killing her, much like Palladium for Tony Stark. So, nonetheless, um, I think that, uh, like, the humor... Uh, of the of the acts of Stormbreaker is jealous, right? And several, so it seems to have kind of like a personality. Whenever Thor is talking about like um, how much he loves Mjolnir, or uh, at one point they steal Zeus's thunderbolt, uh, it seems like Mjolnir is jealous and non-cooperative. But when, for example, Gore steals um, Stormbreaker to use it to summon the Bifrost, like Stormbreaker just kind of goes along with it. So if it has a personality of its own, why doesn't it, you know, act against gore, right? So that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and, uh, you know, that. so anyway, like, I think that the humor's great. Like, I love the idea of Stormbreaker being jealous of, of, of Mjolnir um, and there being kind of like a tiff between Mjolnir and, or tiff between Stormbreaker and Thor. 
but the consistency of it, you know, is, is kind of jarring. I didn't really like it, um, in that sense. Um, um, but, and I think a lot of it, you know, like the, the film so much has to follow like kind of a, like necessary script. Like the reason why that meal, that Stormbreaker doesn't is because they need to get Gore to the location he needs to be at so that they can progress the plot. And so a lot of it feels like it's just related to that issue. So, um, those are things I didn't like. Things I did like, uh, I loved the way that they used Jane. And so one of the things that a lot of critics of Thor, um, Ragnarok, or, uh, Thor, um, Dark World and the original Thors, they didn't really like Natalie Portman's character. Um, I thought that Taika Waititi used her really well. Natalie Portman did a great job playing the mighty Thor, the almighty Thor, um, I thought it was really interesting, like the different kind of elements she brought to her fighting, right, and the ways that she used Mjolnir, really great. Um, and um, I liked how um, Thor himself is is still kind of like grieving the loss of the relationships, uh, but trying to move on in his own kind of lovable way. Um, I love that Thor has kind of like. Um, <coughs> Like, he finds Sif. That was one of the things that, um, in Ragnarok, that was really, you know, uh, everyone was really wondering, like, where's Sif? Because she wasn't in that. And, uh, you know, Jamie Alexander, she she had a scheduling conflict with Ragnarok. And I think that served her well. Because I think if she could have made that movie, she would have been killed off with the rest of the, uh, the warriors uh, that were killed off in that movie. And so she shows up here alive and well, loses an arm, but nonetheless... Uh, is alive and well, and so Jamie Alexander is going to play a role here um, uh, going forward in Thor, hopefully, because I, I, I liked her character. She barely got any lines. She got, like, one line, and then at the end she's training Heimdall's kid, but, yeah, it's um, it's not great. She was in Loki, which is great, um, but I, was, uh, I always hoped that she'd make a comeback, and she did, so who knows if they'll use her more, um, but we'll see. Uh, Valkyrie underutilized, but... I thought she did really great. Really loved Korg. Um, and like I said, I, I just love this version of Thor, of Chris Hemsworth being able to use his personality. He's still tough when he needs to be, but, um, you know, uh, this can be funny and show, like, his personality. A lot of, like, Thor-like fans really don't like this version of Thor because he's kind of a wimp or whatever. I don't, I don't see that. I don't think he's a wimp at all. Um... Specifically, I want to talk about the theological themes, and then we'll um, speculate where this is going, because the MCU is he heading in a very specific direction, and I'm not sure how Thor fits in that going forward. Um, the theme of this movie... Um, so the story is, right, just very simply, uh, Gore becomes this anti-god villain. He slays a lot of gods, and he is basically trying to get to the center of the universe which is where Eternity lives. Eternity is kind of this all-powerful being, and the first person to find Eternity gets to ask one wish, um, and Gore is going to ask that um, all gods will die. Um, to get to Eternity, he needs the Bifrost, and so he steals the Asgardian children in order to lure Thor into a trap uh, to steal Stormbreaker, because that's the last kind of like weapon that can summon the Bifrost um, now that Asgard is destroyed. And so, um, basically, he gets there, um, and Thor has to confront him. Um, he asks Jane to stay behind, because, you know, every time she picks up the hammer, she gets worse. 
um, but she ultimately decides to go fight alongside Thor, and that's what ends up killing her. Um, uh, basically, they convince Gore in Jane's final moments to not use his wish to kill all the gods, but to bring back his daughter. Um, and so one of the things that you see is Christian Bale dying at the end of the film and his daughter coming back to life, again, played by Chris Hemsworth's daughter. And Chris Hemsworth, Thor, and this new girl kind of forge a new relationship, he being her father, um, and they go on fun space adventures together um, using Mjolnir, which is now reforged and Thor can use, um, and Stormbreaker to fight and do justice uh, across the galaxy, much in the same way that Captain Marvel does, uh, kind of an Avenger that... Um, is more of a um, intergalactic Avenger than just one that's tethered to Earth. So um, that's the story. There's a very interesting um, theological plot here that oscillates, I think, between two philosophical figures. The first of which is Plato. If you do any reading of Plato and ancient Greek kind of mythology, the gods were not really uh, necessarily the best people. Um, they were immoral. I mean, Zeus, for example, who appears in this film, played by Russell Crowe, um, you know, is always coming down to Earth and having children, you know, with humans. And so there's these half-humans, half-god characters like Hercules, who, again, also makes an appearance in this film. Uh, so, um, you know, they uh, Plato and, and the philosophers are like, you. these gods are not really... Um, like the most moral people and so they can't be the final ultimate being because if we can reason that there is a more moral existence than these gods then there has to be a higher god in a certain sense and so um you know plato theorized this the existence of the reality of the forms that actually is the more moral accountability of the world than than the gods right and so you know, you see that with the gods here because one of the reasons why Gore is such a good villain is that you resonate completely with his perspective. Like, uh, the gods, when uh, they get together, so basically um, uh, Thor goes to meet with Zeus and all the other gods to try and raise an army to go fight Gore. And none of the gods want to go. They want to stay in safety um, in this kind of, like, pantheon uh, where the gods exist. Um and one of the things that happens is that you find out that there's a contest for most human sacrifices or most sacrifices of their followers throughout the year. And so those aren't, they're not great people. After you talk to Zeus, it's like, this is not a great person. Um, <clears throat> and so the challenge is, is like, okay, um, so the gods are not great people. And so you really resonate with Gore's desire to wipe them all out because they're not good, right? The second is is Nietzsche, this kind of death of God stuff. One of uh, like with Plato, Nietzsche, and he's more specifically aiming at the Christian God, is that he he does not think the Christian God Nietzsche does is is worthy of worship because it celebrates weakness and and not strength and things like that and and you know what kind of God um, you know celebrates slaves and things like that. Um, in a certain sense, this is the whole death of God theology that. Um, that he's trying to promote and he's trying to kill the morality that is formed by the Christian God in order to begin again with a different kind of, um, morality. And in some sense, this is tied to his understanding of the internal recurrence of the same and certain elements like that. Um, and so there's this real deep death of God kind of theology, the background of this, 
Um, it's because it's nihilism. Like the uh, Gore's motivation isn't necessarily some type of new world order. It's just death, destruction, and 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 annihilation. And so nihilism is something that I think is is a central theme for for Nietzsche. Nihilism was this actually constructive reality, destroying the gods in order to create a new reality. And so I think Gore wants to try and liberate the universe from the gods, in order to begin again. And I think that's a, yet again it could have been a theme that they explored if they had a little bit more time to develop his character. Like, is, is Gore just doing this because his daughter died? Or is there, you know, some type of philosophical rationale that he develops along the way? I think it would be interesting to dive into that. But it's still there. I think it's still there. Um, and so I, that, that's my favorite thing about the film, is, like, these, these philosophical ideas. Where do we go from here? It's, it's very clear that, um, that the next several phases... So phase four, and, and one of my... Uh, close friends pointed this out about phase four, and I think he's absolutely right. If you look at phase four, <laughs> everything from Black Widow all the way up to Love and Thunder, which is here, and we just found out at San Diego Comic-Con that the end of phase four is actually Wakanda Forever, which comes out in November. And so um, everything in phase four has been about mourning the loss of everything that happened in Endgame. With, and with that respect, I think that phase four really should have begun with spider-man far from home because that's all about the loss of tony stark and peter parker's life um but i digress that's technically the end of phase three um according to marvel but phase four is all about been mourning the loss right of everything and you can think about it like no way home is still kind of picking up this idea of like losing the avengers and you know, he ultimately peter parker does lose his um history he loses everyone he knows right as a result of the goings on of a phase um of, of endgame i mean uh, uh you have this idea with um uh, for example um hawkeye he's losing all of his friends he lost natasha in that show wandavision and to some extent dr strange the multiverse of madness is all about her losing a vision and her kids um you know wakanda forever will all be about the loss of chadwick boseman in real life um and so and, and everything in between, right? There's been a lot more things that have been these big losses. I mean, uh, for Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's the loss of Steve Rogers. Um, you know, and, and there's lots of other things too. Loki, um, all of this is, uh, is, is something that is, is important. So I think that there's something for that. But uh, they're heading into this multiversal saga. So starting with Phase 4, there's a multiversal saga. And you can see that with WandaVision, No Way Home, Loki, and now um, Multiverse of Madness, um, they're kicking off this um, saga. So the first three phases was the Infinity Saga. The next three, it seems like, are going to be the Multiverse Saga. Um, I don't know where Thor fits in that um, at this point. I'm sure that he will come back and fight at some point, Kang or something like that. I, I assume that it has to do with Loki to some degree. Because Loki's sticking around, the second season of Loki is filming now, and so I imagine that a lot of it will have to do with Thor's reunion with Loki to some degree. Um, but I'm not sure, and I know that he'll show up alongside the other Avengers, probably to fight in the the last two Avengers movies that they projected, which we'll get into here in a second. But nonetheless, um, I think that uh, I think that it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. So. Um, on top of that, um, 
I, I'm excited to see what they do with Thor. I hope they keep going with him. They have not announced another Thor movie. And so it might be a while before we see Thor. Um, maybe all the way until the Avengers movies. And so I'm not sure. There's a lot of movies that they haven't announced that I think they're going to... And projects that they're going to announce at D23 in September. So I don't think they've announced all the movies for Phases 5 and 6. But I, I would be surprised if there was another Thor movie planned. Um because I think they have a lot of things they want to do with some of their um, other Marvel properties to kind of get them on the board, like Blade and, and Daredevil and um, some of those things as well, even X-Men for that matter. Um, shifting gears slightly, I do want to talk about Miss Marvel. I covered the first episode on the podcast. Um, I didn't really get a lot of um, uh, feedback from anyone that this was something that people were interested in, in, so I decided to just kind of do a recap near the end and fit it in here. Um, I like this show. It, it's not my favorite Marvel show, but I think it's really interesting. Introducing Ms. Marvel, I think, is a really important um, thing to do at this point. Um, obviously, they're setting up the Marvels, which will come out next year. Um, but I think it's, uh, if nothing else, um, the uh, the actress who plays um, who plays Kamala Khan and Mon Vellani, she is just so likable in this role. <laughs> and I think that it feels very much like a kind of teen high school hijinks kind of movie. So, for example, um, uh, I think of it kind of like Glee or, like I said, um, Never Have I Ever. Um, it even feels a little bit like uh, uh, Spider-Man because she's always getting help from her high school friends to help her defeat these major kind of threats <laughs> and things like that. And so... Um, it's great, but I mean, one of the things I like about it the most is they show um, kind of the the trauma that many um, Pakistani immigrants um, felt um, or feel as a result of the partition of India in the 1920s, uh, when they kind of the government decided to push out all Islamic um, people um, out of the country, um, and I think that that's valuable for a Western audience to see this history. Like, there's just like stuff that you know, we don't know that pe that trauma that has been very real for, for people. Uh, the, the gist of the show, um, is that, uh, Kamala Khan finds this bracelet that belonged to her great grandmother. And this is the key to help uh, a group of kind of like immortal creatures called the clandestines or, um, in this film, they're called gins, um, which is a part of like, you know, genie culture. Um, sorry, the genie myth, uh, which is a part of Islamic and Eastern culture. Um, and so she's trying to, like, uh, her, she's found by this group and she's told that that bracelet can help send them home, but she finds out very quickly that if she does that, it'll destroy her reality. So she doesn't want to do that. She ends up having to fight these people. Um, and ultimately they come to their senses and, um, you know, some of them die in the, the, the kind of the main one sacrifices herself to protect the reality that she's in the final battle is between the uh, clandestine son um and kamala khan and her host of high school friends um which it felt a little rushed it felt like in some sense the end of the series should have been the second to last episode because they've kind of covered all the things that they wanted to cover and so they they but they shoehorned this last final battle in there um and there's a lot of things they kind of shove into this last episode um last couple episodes i mean they do, they do time travel in the series um don't explain how it works uh obviously the second time that marvel's done time travel so far at least um 
And they, at the end of the big reveal of this series, is that Kamala Khan is not an inhuman, as she is in the comics. She's a mutant. And you know that we're talking about X-Men mutants because they actually play the X-Men theme um, when she's told that she's a mutant. And so it's, it's, again, it's an interesting show. This is now the introduction of mutants into the MCU. And so full steam ahead towards X-Men, which I'm all about, really excited for. I think the momentum that Marvel is going to carry after um, Phase 5 is going to have to rely heavily on properties like the Fantastic Four, Daredevil, and X-Men. Um, you know, I, at every moment... I think that Marvel is losing steam. They find a way to reel me back in, right? So um, I am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt here and see where this is going. But Miss Marvel was uh, was was good for me, and um, I liked it, and I thought it was uh, a really interesting story. Um, it ended with Kamala Khan disappearing and Brie Larson's Captain America kind of, like, appearing. It's, it's unclear whether or not, and I, I'm pretty sure that they swapped places, it looks like, because um, Brie Larson's Captain Marvel seems to be really confused about where she is. And she sees in Kamala Khan's bedroom all these pictures of Captain Marvel. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this ties into what they're going to be doing with the Marvels. But I'm excited. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more Captain Marvel because she's clearly one of the strongest Avengers, if, if not the strongest, um, uh, because we don't really know what's happening with Scarlet Witch. And I think that they should focus more on her, to be honest with me, with you. And I, I hope that she gets more screen time going forward. Um, switching gears again, just slightly, this will be a little bit shorter. The, we got our first trailer for Wakanda Forever. Um, and this one's going to be emotional um, because uh, it looks like the writers of Wakanda Forever have decided to kill off um, T'Challa in some capacity. They're not going to recast him. They're not going to use CGI, they're just going to kill him off and replace the Black Panther. In the comics, there have been a lot of people who've taken up the Black Panther role. Um, my money is on Shuri, his sister, but the thing that appears to be the story for this film is that after King T'Challa dies, um, his mom kind of sits on the throne, and she's the main one tasked with deciding what is going to be the future of... Um, what is going to be the future of Wakanda. And Wakanda now um, is a little unstable because of all the things they've experienced in not only an Endgame, right? A lot of bad things happened to Wakanda as a result of Endgame. But then also uh, we have um, uh, new threats to Wakanda, which will be Atlantis um, and Namor, right? So they're um, the Submariner, uh, who is a uh, one of the original kind of Avengers. He's like the marvel's version of um of aquaman um and so it appears that they're and obviously um one of the things in the comics that's pretty standard is that atlantis and wakanda don't get along and so it seems like they're going to pick up that storyline it'll be interesting to see what happens with namor and how he plays into the mcu in the future um you also get the first uh picture of iron heart um you know the uh uh, Riri, William, Riri Williams, um, who's going to play Ironheart, which is um, uh, the next Iron Man character. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, I'm interested to see. She seems to be close to Siri. So Shir, sorry, Shiri. And so I'm, I'm hoping that um, there'll be some uh, a glimpse, maybe a little bit. We haven't gotten a date on when Armor Wars is happening, which um, 
is going to involve Rhodey kind of collecting all of um, Tony's old suits. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, she's going to be in that too. And so I'm interested to see where that goes and, and how that goes. It's going to be a very emotional one without Chadwick Boseman. I think that that's going to be really difficult. I know it's difficult for the cast, but um, I'm interested to see how they handle the who's going to be the next Black Panther and how they're going to handle his death, which is significant. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up here, I, the last thing I want to talk about um, are the is the slate of movies coming up for um, Marvel in phases five and six. So, like I said, phase four wraps up with Wakanda Forever. Um, which, in my guess, they're going to um, tease um, the arrival of Doctor Doom. There's been a lot of speculation that he's going to be in this film. And I have no reason to to doubt that. Um, and one of the interesting things about the announcements that they made at San Diego Comic-Con is that normally a phase would end with an Avengers movie. So the first phase ended with the Avengers movie. The second phase ended with Avengers Age of Ultron, and the third phase ended with Endgame or with um, Spider-Man Far From Home. I lean more towards Endgame in the way that I understand it, and Phase 4 starting with Spider-Man. I think that would be the perfect way to do it, especially if the story that they're telling is Phase 4 is about the end of... Uh, the like the morning of things that happen in Endgame. Um, so Phase 5 will end with a Thunderbolts movie, at least as it sits right now which comes out in July of 2024. So the phases four and five are not ending with Avengers movies. According to Kevin Feige, the Avengers um, movies will signal the end of a saga. So like Endgame was the end of the Infinity Saga. So the Secret Wars is going to be the end of the Multiverse Saga. And that's going to be the last movie of phase six that they announced that's not coming out until 2025. So that was an interesting piece of information we got. But here's the lineup for Phase 5. Um, in February, we get Ant-Man and Quantum Mania, which will be the introduction of Kang the Conqueror. We've known that even before Kang was in, um, was in uh, Loki. Uh, Secret Invasion, which will be the next major crossover event. It's going to be a uh, Disney Plus show. It's going to star um, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And so in that one, I'm guessing we're going to get a lot of Avengers characters. Maybe even Thor will show up. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is going to come out on May, May 5th. As James Gunn said, this is the end of the Guardians era in the MCU. Echo, who's the um, character that was introduced in Hawkeye, uh, will be coming in summer of 2023 as a Disney Plus show, but we've also got confirmation that Charlie Cox's um, uh, Daredevil will be in it, and also Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin will be in that as well. Loki Season 2 will be summer of 2023, um, which comes two years after, in the summer, uh, of Loki Season 1. The Marvels, which I just talked about, which will have Amon Vellani returning as Miss Marvel and Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Um, but we also have Photon from WandaVision that will show up as well. Blade, um, which is supposed to be a, either a Disney Plus show or a movie. It's unclear which one it's going to be. Um, is going to come in November 3rd, which is some in some sense going to be a follow-up to Eternals. Ironheart, um, fall, uh, Disney Plus show will be fall of 2023. Agatha, Coven of Darkness, um, which is a WandaVision follow-up, will be winter of 2023 or spring of 2024. Daredevil, and this is probably one of the more exciting pieces that came out as a result of these announcements. 
uh, it's going to be a Disney Plus show. Now, normally Disney Plus shows are like six to eight episodes long. I think, I think WandaVision was eight episodes long. I'm pretty sure that's how long, um, Cat, Cat, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was. Um, but um, Daredevil: Born Again, which is going to be a new Disney Plus Plus series featuring Charlie Cox, is going to be 18 episodes long. By far the longest Disney Plus show. Um, for the Marvel movies that they have done um, so far, and that's coming out spring of 2024, so in two, uh, roughly um, year year and a half, two years kind of length here. And so I'm very interested to see that. Huge fan of Charlie Cox's Daredevil, so I'm excited for that. Um, Sam Wilson will get his um, theatrical debut um, after the success of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He's going to be Captain America in Captain America New World Order, which comes out in May of 2024. And then, like I said, the last movie as of this point <coughs> that is listed for Phase 5 is Thunderbolts, which they've been gathering a lot of the characters from Thunderbolts in the comics. This is kind of like a like a governmental um, Avengers group. So John Walker, I guess, is going to, I would guess, is going to make his comeback as U.S. agent. I think you'll see um, um, Elena um, from uh, Black Widow making her return at that point i think you'll also see um uh you'll see uh abomination there too he's a thunderbolt and then uh someone also pointed out that we're probably going to get um ne um the uh, uh nemo sorry um yeah nemo from uh not nemo why am i blanking on this i'm so sorry i'm about to look this up it's gonna bother me um He's the main villain in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, uh, and he's going to probably come back because he's a Thunderbolt as well. Um, let me look at it. Sorry. Baron Zemo, not Nemo. Anyway, sorry. So Zemo will be back. And so that plus some other characters um, will come back. And again, all of this is, to some degree, has to advance the multiversal saga while also telling their own unique stories. And so we're getting a lot of new stuff, like the new Captain America, um, while also having some old stuff, such as Guardians and Ant-Man. And so I'm very excited to see um, exactly where they go from that. Now, the other thing that they announced is a little bit of Phase 6, one of which we knew, which is Fantastic Four, which comes out on my birthday, November 8th, uh, 2024, and then two Avengers movies, the first, The Kang Dynasty, and the last, uh, Secret Wars. Uh, my guess is that they announced these three movies to kind of gesture towards what that last phase is going to look like. In the comics, um, uh, Doctor Doom becomes kind of one of the main villains of Secret Wars. He gains a lot of power from that. Um, and, um, you know, if they introduce Doctor Doom in Wakanda forever, it'll be a nice way to kind of usher in the next stage of, of the multiversal saga and set up kind of where they're going um, with Secret Wars, because Secret Wars is kind of an interdimensional war that is uh, really interesting. And, and just like um, um, Atlantis is a threat to uh, Wakanda, so is um, Captain, uh, Captain Doom, sorry, not Captain Doom, uh, Doctor Doom, because he um, is from Latveria, which is uh, another country near Wakanda um, in some iterations. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm... 
I'm optimistic. You know, like I said, I, I've stopped doubting that Marvel can tell a compelling story. I'm interested to see what Kevin Feige does with the Fantastic Four. I liked the other Fantastic Four movies for what they were, but they were not successful. And so I would love to see a Fantastic Four story that people can really gravitate towards. I'm excited for the fact that we're going to get some new faces in here. I'm interested to see what the Avengers team is going to look like, but I'm also interested in all the things that weren't announced that we know are happening, such as Armor Wars. We don't know when that's happening. Deadpool 3, we don't know when that's happening. Uh, whether or not they're going to introduce the mutants before Secret Wars and things like that. So there's a lot of things yet to come that I think are going to be really interesting. So um, that about does it for us. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, anything on the horizon Marvel-wise that you're interested in or... Uh, maybe you had a different take on Thor or the Wakanda trailer or or Miss Marvel. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. In a couple weeks here, um, we're going to get She-Hulk. So that's going to be a, a really a good story to check out. So I, I hope that you'll uh, join us back here um, during that time so that we can uh, um, celebrate the release of more Marvel stuff. I'm, I'm a Marvel uh connoisseur in the sense that i just i really enjoy it i'm probably not as sophisticated as other marvel watchers but i i love to see um see what's coming and and i i'd love to hear your thoughts too so anyway um uh, leave a review for us uh, on the podcast we got some more stuff coming up uh, kyle and i are going to be back together to talk about multiverse stuff between the various multiverse movies of this past summer um as well as talking about our famous favorite movies of 2022 so far um, in addition, we will also um, be covering here on the podcast uh, Brian and Charles, which is an art house film that was released rather recently. Um, I'll have a review of that. In addition, look out for other reviews that are coming out on the podcast. We're going to do Westworld at some point uh, here as well, um, along with a few other things. And so keep your eyes out and peeled on um, our, our feed. Uh, you know, follow our new Instagram. And we will love to connect with you then. Um, anyway, be well, stay safe, everyone. And I'll see you here next time on the Art House Road Show. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Road Show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>